Hello, I'm Eleanor Rourke from HSF's Head Office Advisory Team, and welcome to Reporting for Duties, our limited podcast series aiming to provide bite-sized insights on corporate reporting and ESG throughout the main Australian reporting season. In this episode, we have Timothy Stott and Barry Wang reporting for duty, and we're going to be discussing some key concepts from Treasury's second consultation paper on climate-related financial disclosures. Before we get into it, I would first like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we are recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to elders both past, present and emerging. So, Tim and Barry, we're here to talk about Treasury's second consultation paper and some of the key concepts that have come out of that. So, Barry, I might throw to you first and ask which entities are going to be caught by this new reporting regime and how will the regime be phased in? Thanks, Ellen. Well, first up, as proposed in the consultation paper, the Australian regime would apply to any entity required to report under Chapter 2M of the Corporations Act. That is, Australian public companies, large proprietary companies, disclosing entities and registered schemes. If you don't need to report under Chapter 2M, then you're out. If you do need to report under Chapter 2M, you're in if you meet certain size thresholds or if you meet certain requirements under the National Greenhouse and Energy Reporting Act, or ENGA for short. The consultation paper also indicates that it will be a phased approach with three groups of companies being required to start reporting at different points. For group one, you will need to report from your first financial year that starts on or after 1 July 2024. You fall in group one if you meet at least two of the three of the following. You've got over 500 employees, or the value of your consolidated gross assets at the end of the financial year is $1 billion or more, or your consolidated revenue for the financial year is $500 million or more. And as as an alternative, you also fall within Group 1 if you are both a controlling corporation under the ENGER Act and you meet the ENGER's publication threshold. So that's group one um, required to start reporting on or after 1 July 2024. For group two, you will need to report from your first financial year that starts on or after 1 July 2026. Again, the test is whether you satisfy at least two of three of the following, 250 employees, 500 million consolidated gross assets, and 200 million consolidated revenue. And lastly, for Group 3, they'll need to start reporting from their first financial year that starts on or after 1 July 2027. The relevant thresholds are 100 employees, 25 million consolidated gross assets, and 50 million consolidated revenue. Alternatively, you would fall within Group 3 if you are a controlling corporation under the ENGA. Great. Thanks, Barry. So we have these entities which are caught under Chapter 2M, but then the next question becomes, how does that apply in a larger corporate group? Tim, are you able to provide more light on how that applies? 
It's a really good question, Ellen, and I would love to shed more light on how that applies, but I think there are some questions which are going to have to be resolved through this consultation process um, and through the drafting of the legislation itself, as well as potentially the, the actual development of the, the standards which people will report against um, and, and they're released by um, the Accounting Standards Board. The reason that there is a little bit of uncertainty around it is in Australia, we apply the reporting obligations to specific entities. And then on a group basis, actually, entities can be relieved of some of those reporting obligations where they form part of a consolidated reporting group and rely on specific relief given by ASIC. So, for instance, the parent company might prepare consolidated reports, which cover all of its wholly owned subsidiaries and other entities which are consolidated into its accounts. But some of those wholly owned subsidiaries themselves might have otherwise had to have reported under Chapter 2M, given that they meet the thresholds to be large proprietary companies or they might be public companies themselves, albeit wholly owned ones. Um, they're relieved from their reporting obligations perhaps under a deed of cross-guarantee or something similar to that, a specific instrument similar to that. Where they're relieved of, of their reporting obligations, they don't have to separately report. They get included in their parents' report and they comply with requirements under the relief provided by ASIC in entering into a deed of cross-guarantee. The reason that it's a little bit more complex in relation to climate reporting is that the regime talks about Chapter 2M reporters and Chapter 2M reporters who hit specific thresholds needing to report. You track that through to the specific IWSB standards. They refer to single reporting entities being the relevant entity and its subsidiaries. It doesn't necessarily recognise that they might form part of a larger group and they're would well be Chapter 2M reporters in a corporate group who don't have the benefit of reporting relief and who commonly prepare their own reports. So some common examples that we often see within a large reporting group, there might be a parent company which is listed, it prepares consolidated accounts on a group-wide basis. But there might also be within the group a treasury company which does lending on behalf of the borrowing on behalf of the group because they have debt instruments on issue actually they don't qualify for reporting relief and they just prepare their accounts and file them with ASIC in the usual course it could well be a different subsidiary which guarantees the debts of a group company they would also fall out of the reporting relief or it could be a subsidiary which is not wholly owned. So say it's 90% owned or even 60% owned. Um, if it's not wholly owned, it won't qualify for reporting relief. The reason that the climate regime overlay is a little bit um, difficult is some of these entities which commonly prepare financial reports at the moment might have to start embedding the required climate disclosures into their financial reports. And the regime is, is quite clear that the majority of the requirements are intended to be brought through into the financial report. Because these specific group entities have to do a financial report 
and will have to embed climate information into their financial reports, there may be a need for them to be thinking about it in terms of themselves as being that single reporting entity, so themselves and their subsidiaries, and thinking about things like their strategy or the risks and opportunities um, on that basis. If you consider it across the corporate group, potentially that that might look like various versions of climate reporting for different entities within the group. So while the parent entity would be preparing it on a group-wide basis, and, and that one would make quite a lot of sense and capture the group-wide strategy and risks and targets and all the rest of it, when you drill down to the specific treasury entity or you drill down to something which is not wholly owned, it would need to have more of its individual context built into what it's reporting on a, from a, a climate perspective. Hopefully, um, this is an issue which can be addressed through the legislation itself or the standards to find some, some way of toggling between things which can be done on a group basis without undercutting the government's intention to have meaningful information for financial reporters, which includes climate information, um, which reflects the individual entity. Different approaches might include having some of some of the information able to be reported on a group-wide basis, even though the relevant reporting entity may not necessarily be apparent itself. It, it might be reporting in relation to a broader group of which it forms part. Other options might be having more of the information able to be in a separate document and doing some sort of joint reporting in the way that we have for modern slavery, for instance. But all just ideas, and we're hoping that uh, this, this is one of the issues which will be clarified through the course of the, the consultation process and the drafting of the legislation. Excellent. Thanks, Tim. So a bit of a watch this space for now, but some really useful context there. So thanks, everyone, for joining us today. This was Timothy Stutt, Barry Wang and Eleanor Rourke reporting for duty. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.